who God is. And so we will continue with that understanding who God is. This is the foundational thing of your life. There is nothing more important to you that is foundationally sound than what we're talking about here for the past few weeks, understanding who God is. You can't get to the second base if you don't get on first base. This is first base. Understanding who God is is first base. It's everything. Uh, we were having discussions at my home earlier this evening, and you know you heard me said this before, but I repeated myself again. And what we talked about was every issue we will have concerning why should we do this or why we shouldn't do this, it just comes down to your relationship with God. That's all it really comes down Why? Because when you... When you have a relationship with, you find yourself doing things that nobody told you to do. Because it's between you and God. And God's spirit will just allow you to desire to do things a certain way. Or God's spirit will lead you into doing things a certain way. And so when, when, when we have certain questions about things, we probably will not get them answered. Not because God don't want to answer them, but because you haven't gone deep enough to get the answer for them. That's really what it comes down to. So your relationship with God will kind of dictate a lot of your behavior. I was reading the other day in Hebrews, I think it was chapter 3, doing our regular scripture reading, I think it was verse 9. And when I read the scripture that talked about, just one little clip there in that whole text that talked about understanding the ways of God, I just smile. Oh my goodness. I said, man, if we really want to, I like, you know, I like to, not just get into the word just for the here and the now, but I want to go beyond. I want to understand it in a way that when I go down the line reading, I can piece it together because I understood that so well that later on when I read something else, I can piece it together. And I've been saying it for some good while now. I've always been interested in understanding who God is, understanding his ways. Because sometimes you might not have the answer, you might not hear the voice of God, the Spirit of God might not reveal something to you, but understanding His ways make you understand how to go about things, right? And so, uh, I heard a preacher said the other day, um, what love will do or what love won't do. And the text that he used, I just thought it was so beautiful. The text that he used, he was just making a statement. And he says, the woman that was the real mother of the baby when King Solomon was judging, that explains everything about love. Right? She had a choice. Lose her baby or save the baby life. Save the baby. She was going to lose the baby in her, in her mind, in her understanding. She figured, if I say take the baby, they're going to let this woman take the baby and go with the baby. But because I love the baby, I'd rather the baby live than the baby die. And so when you love, again, understanding the ways of God, you follow it all the way through, you will do whatever it takes to preserve life. And that means in the spiritual and in the natural. You will do your best to preserve that life. And so sometimes, instead of you being right, you'll prefer that we preserve life. 
And what that means. That means that you and someone could be into a, a discussion and you can be right and they can be wrong. But if the discussion is going to take you into an argument and make them become disgruntled or get upset, you just do what you have to do to end the conversation in a good way because you're thinking about that person's well-being and how, you know, the discussion going south will uh, hinder them. So some of us will say, well, it's not my fault if they can't handle it. You know, we come up with all the right reasons to keep doing what we want as opposed to say, what would love say about this? When you learn the ways of God, you understand how love work. Uh-huh. All right. Understanding who God is, this may be our final lesson in this text, in this lesson, I probably should say. And so we'll start off by, as we did the previous weeks, we'll review a little bit and then we'll go into finishing this thing up. So I'm going to start on the page that asks the question that you and I usually ask. And that is, who am I? Who am I? Um, Those that attend church, those that don't attend church. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what walk of life you're from. uh, We're all wanting to know who we are. As a matter of fact, a lot of our actions um, comes from us trying to figure out who we are. Trying to figure out our, our identity. So we do things to to... Um, to kind of identify who we are. You know, um, it doesn't matter, you know, what that may be. It, we just find ourselves saying, well, this is just who I am. So we, we try to identify who we are as we go through this life. And God, through him giving us understanding as to who he is, makes us understand who we are. See how important that is? If you come to understand who God is, then you will come to understand who you are. But if you never get to know who God is, then you will never get to know who you are. So a lot of us are trying to figure out who we are, and it's difficult, it's head-banging, it's, it's, it's so frustrating, and, and, and we feel like it's uh, 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 like a roller coaster, but it really just comes down to... Once you get to understand who God is, you will come to know who you are. So who am I? Here is the answer. You are one of the beings who God created in his own image. So the first thing you want to know who you are, you are a creation of God. You were created by God in God's image. If you deviate from that, if you feel differently than that, then you will continue to seek to, 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 to figure out who you are and never really come to the understanding to knowing who you are if you go outside of these boundaries. You are a created being by God, and you were created in God's image. What is the purpose of my life? Make money. Live a good life. You were created to know God. Uh-oh. Who am I? A created being by God. God created you. What is my purpose? I was created to know God. So if we don't know God, 
we're not walking in our purpose. If we're not doing our best to seek to know God, we're not following the trail of our purpose. And so for everyone that is doing everything that they're doing except following that trail to know who God is, they're not on the trail to understand who they are and what they were created to do. You were created to determine God's true value. So you were created to know God, and when you know God, you will know God's true value. You can determine God's true value. Now that sounds crazy that who am I to determine God's true value? But remember we've gone through this lesson that the only way you will understand your value is if, is if someone other than yourself that know you can determine your value. Uh-huh. This is why marital relationships are important. Right? This is why all of our close relationships are important because a lot of times we want to feel special. We want to, we want to feel like we matter. And the only way we can feel that way is if the people that really supposed to know us, that spend time with us, decides or determine that we are valuable, then we don't feel valuable. This is what wreck relationships. If you're in a relationship and you don't feel valued, that is not good. We ought to value the people we are in relationship with. Because if we don't do that, then we really put what the Bible would probably call a stumbling block in their way. Uh-oh. Oh, yes. If you don't value them, because God has already shown us that you, that your value is determined by someone else that know you. And we all want to feel like we matter and we all want to feel like we have value. And so the bottom line is, if the person that's supposed to know me don't value me, then it puts me in a situation where I might want to feel valued. Why? Now, so now I go go around people and, you know, I might do some things that might not be cool. Like, what's wrong with him? Because he want to feel valued because the people in his life don't value him. She want to feel valued because the people in her life don't value her. Now we understand why people go to that extent. Why people want to... Why would they do that? I mean, just sit down and stop. Well, you don't understand the situation. They're not being valued. And when people are not being valued, they're going to try to live their life. Some of it is not even, you know, purposeful. It's just a way of, I need to feel valued. So I do things to see if someone will tell me I'm valuable. So you are created to determine God's true value. So the bottom line is, the only way you can do that is by knowing God. You will become the justification for his existence. Remember what we say, existence demands justification. If you exist, you must justify why you exist. And for all of us that exist, but... We're not seeking to know God, then we disqualify ourselves from justifying our exist, our exist, existence. You understand what I'm what I'm saying by that? Let me say it again. If we were created by God in God's image, 
for the purpose of knowing who God is and then determine God's value. If we're living and we're not seeking to know God, it means we're not fulfilling our purpose for why we exist. And the bottom line is we are supposed to exist to justify God's value. Remember what we said from the very beginning. If God stayed the way he was from the very beginning and did nothing, what good would this world be? Just think about it. We go back to Genesis. We heard the preacher earlier that we watched talk about it. The, word, the earth was formless and voidless. There was nothing. So if God didn't create, that's how this world that we that exists, that's how it would be just eternally. Nobody would exist. Nothing would exist. God would just exist. And so if it stayed that way, what good would God existence be? That's very important. We have to understand that. And so God created us in his image so we can know him. And so we can justify his value. You must know and understand him before you can determine his true value. We can't say anything about God until we know God. This is why sometimes I can say God is good. And somebody might say, yeah. I said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. God is good. And yeah, I know. You don't really understand what I'm saying. No, God is good. And why am I saying it? And you can do the same thing. It's not just me. Why are we saying it like that? Because we've experienced him. We've experienced some things he has done. And so now we're saying, you got to understand this. God is certainly good. And if the person don't know God, they will not have a clue what you're talking about. I'm glad you go to church. and I'm glad you know about God. That's kind of how some people do us, you know, when we're all geeked up about God and we're all excited about God. All they say is, I'm glad you go to church because I can tell you're better now that you go to church. And that's what they think. That's all it is. It is you're a good person now that you go to church. Because I remember before you started going to church, you weren't that good. And that's all they give us credit for. And so when we talk about how good God is, you're like, mm, okay. Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 24 says, but let him that glorifieth glorify glory in this that he understandeth and knoweth me that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For these things I delight, saith the Lord. He revealed himself to make it possible for you to know him. Isaiah 43 and 10, ye are my witness saith the Lord and my servant whom I have chosen that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he before me there was no God formed neither shall there be after me his sacrifice at Calvary is the ultimate evidence that justifies his existence the justice of Calvary now we're going to get into something that I'm going to hope to be very clear on so you really understand this. And the thing we're going to get into tonight that we're going to talk about a lot is mercy and justice. That's what we're going to approach tonight, mercy and justice. How does the two differ? How do they work? And how do, how do, how do they exist? And how does God treat those two things, mercy and justice? Because a lot of times 
this is what I'm going to say before I get into it. A lot of times we think mercy will override justice. That, that no matter what, God can just be merciful and never execute justice like he said he would. Uh, we were, again, you got to understand God's ways. And if you don't understand God's ways, you're going to think that God is going to say, this is what we probably think mercy is. You know what, Bob? I was going to just send you to hell because of what you just did. But I'm going to have a little mercy on you and not tell you to send you to hell. A lot of times that's what we think mercy is. That's not mercy. It's not mercy. You'll see how mercy work. Now, mercy is great and mercy still is God showing you mercy in spite of you. But in God showing us mercy, there was also justice done for him to show you mercy. We'll see it. Second Timothy 2 and 13. If we believe not, yet he abided faithful, he cannot deny himself. Very important. God can't deny himself. So he will not, understanding his ways, he is not going to do something for you and deny himself. See, everything exists in God. It has nothing to do with God is trying to flex his muscle. Everything comes from him. And Anytime he deny himself, we're in trouble. If he ever would deny himself because everything comes from him, then we would be in trouble. So he has to keep who he is to be who he is. So no matter what happens, we all are okay because the Bible says in him was life. We don't want him to ever deny himself. But somehow we want him to deny himself. Because usually justice comes with God saying, I can't deny myself. I have to execute justice. And so sometimes we don't want the justice of the Lord. We, oh God. Christianity has misinterpreted God's work at Calvary. What is this great error? Christianity has taught that God violated his absolute justice by exalting his absolute mercy. Christianity teaches that Calvary is a glorious triumph of mercy over justice. The error is founded upon two truths. God's justice demand the death of sinners. God's justice demanded the death of sinners. So the, the soul that sinneth shall surely die. I'm sure it's, it's going to explain it. Look at this, Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4. Behold, all souls are mine. Every person, God said, belongs to me. Huh, scary. Notice he said all souls. He didn't say all saved souls. All souls that were baptized in my name. All souls that speak with tongues. All souls that come to church. He did not say that. Behold, all souls are mine. So every living being is his. They belong to him. As the soul of the father, so also the soul of the son is mine. The soul that sinneth, mean continues in sin, it shall die. So God said that he can't change that. So if that's true, then guess what? That's the way it's going to be. So why am I not dead yet? Why are you not dead yet? We'll see. God's mercy paid the death penalty price for the sinner at Calvary. So God's mercy 
paid the death penalty price for sinners at Calvary. So, again, this should tell you here, he did not not execute justice when we sinned. Oh, he executed justice. God's mercy paid the death penalty price for the sinner at Calvary. Romans 5 and 6. For when we were yet sinners, or yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man. Some would even dare to die. But God commanded his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, here is the justice. The soul that sinneth shall surely die. We were supposed to die, but what he did was, I'll die instead. So the justice was executed. So let's think about it this way. We're standing before the judge. And the judge says, sentence him to life because of what he's done wrong. And someone raised their hand and said, how about I do the life sentence and they don't? That was the justice. So in case people think God showed mercy and not justice, you're crazy. Whatever God said he has to do, he will not deny himself. So if he says blah, 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 it's going to be done. So his justice was someone has to die for someone that continued in sin. And so the sinner was supposed to die. And he raised his hand and says, hold on, hold on. Justice still must be executed, but I'm going to take the place of the person that's supposed to die. I don't know about you. When are we ever going to stop and realize that God took our place? Instead of us dying and going to hell. Instead of us dying and suffering torment for all eternity, instead of us dying and losing out on a relationship with him for eternity, instead of us dying, he died. How should we live our life while we're here in this earth, continuing in this life, understanding someone died so I can continue to live this life? Someone died so I can go to work every day and make a living. Someone died so I can have children and raise them up. Someone died so I was able to raise up one day and get married and have a beautiful relationship. Someone died that I can come to church and praise and worship. Someone died that I can achieve and obtain a great education. Everything that we have, Christ died so you can have it. What are we supposed to be acting like and thinking and how do we live our life when we understand uh, you are only here because God decided instead of you dying when you sinned, I am going to die for you so you will have the opportunity to live out your life. And how do we treat God? And all because he, he gave us this great gift of life because he wanted us to enjoy our life. And so instead of us dying and being in torture and torment, he says, I got it. 
I got it. You go stand at the courthouse and wait for everybody that's going to get a life sentence and see if anybody raised their hand and say, I'll do that for him. I'll do that for her. You won't see it. These two tenets are absolutely true. But the teaching that God violated his justice by applying mercy in abs- is absolutely false. Second Timothy 2.13, if we believe not yet abided faithful, he cannot deny himself. Justice is one of God's fundamental moral attributes. Okay? Job 8 and 3, does God pervert judgment or does the Almighty pervert justice? Question. Proverbs 21 and 3, to do justice in judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Huh. A lot of times we think by sacrificing we can make up for what we've done. We do it with um, our relationships with each other and we do it with God. So here we go. Here we go. We've been messing up. And finally, we decide I got to get it, get it together. And we think, if I just go to a whole bunch of church services, things will be right. You're not thinking about the church services to help change you. You're thinking, this is my sacrifice because I've done so wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so we have this habit sometimes of, 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 of doing a little extra. We, 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 we feel like that's our sacrifice to make up for our wrong. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah we, we, we do that a lot. And so, oh, God, I messed up. And so now we figure I'm going to pray a lot more because that's what I was supposed to be doing anyway. So that's my sacrifice. That's not the way it works. The Lord is the habitation of justice. God is all into justice and mercy. Jeremiah 50 and 7, all that found them have devoured them and their adversaries said, we offend not because they have sinned against the Lord, the habitation of justice, even the Lord, the hope of their father. God will always do what he has to do. Now you understand. Now you understand. I told you one of my secret in some of my prayers. And so now this should come back to you so you understand. Remember, I always tell you, if I sinned and fall short, I will go to God in prayer and I will say, Lord, have mercy upon me. I know, because I know his ways, that God's mercy upon me don't mean I don't have to pay for my wrong. So my prayer is this, Lord. Be merciful unto me in your judgment. <laughs> That's his justice. The, the judgment is his justice. So I know he's not going to say, okay, I'm just going to let you slide this time. That's what we think a lot about the Lord. Oh, he's going to let me slide. No. There's some justice that must be done. But what I say is, God, be merciful to me in your judgment, in your justice, and not let me pay the real penalty I can pay. It's like going before a judge, and you can get 10 years in life, 10, 10 years in jail, and you say, Judge, will you have mercy upon me and give me three instead? 
when you know God ways, you can pray those prayers. You see why it's important to know the ways of God? When you mess up, you know you have to pay a price. Because God can't just let it slide. He loves you, but he's already set his law in order that if you mess up, there's something to pay up. And so all you have to say is, God, in your judgment, in your justice, you execute against me for my wrong. Will you just be merciful and not let me pay the penalty that I should pay? But will you be merciful and lessen the penalty? Yeah. Now, he doesn't have to listen to you just like the judge don't have to listen to you. But you better still pray it. You better still pray it. So it's very important that you understand God. He cannot deny himself. He cannot violate justice. Isaiah 9 and 7. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom. To order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. Psalms 89, 14. Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. It is a sin to afflict the just, or is it a sin to afflict the just? Yes. Proverbs seventeen fifteen. He that justified the wicked and he that condemneth the just, even they both are abomination to the Lord. Proverbs seventeen twenty six. Also, to punish the just is not good, nor to strike prince of iniquity, of equity. Not defending the innocent is not just. Not defending the innocent is not just. If someone is innocent, you should defend them. Psalms 82 and 3, defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Psalms 140:12. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and the right of the poor. Shedding innocent blood is not just. Shedding innocent blood is not just. Jeremiah 23, 22 and 3, Thus saith the Lord, Execute ye judgment and righteousness, and deliver the spoil out of the hand of the oppressor, and do no wrong, do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless, nor the widow, neither shed innocent blood in this place. All right. 284, is it justice when the innocent pay the penalty for the guilty? Is it justice, that's a question mark, when the innocent pay the penalty for the guilty? Is it justice to punish someone for the sins of another? The innocent paying the price for the guilty is great mercy. The innocent paying the price for the guilty is great mercy. The innocent God, Jesus Christ, paying the penalty of me and you was mercy. But the key word there is paying the penalty. That's what we can't forget. That it wasn't just dismissed. You messing up, me messing up was not just erased and dismissed. Nothing happened. 
No, something happened. We messed up, and a penalty had to be paid. That's how it got pushed to the side. That's how it got removed. That's how it got erased. Something happened. But unfortunately, we live our Christian life like nothing happened. Oh, I messed up, but it's okay. I messed up, but it's going to be all right. I messed up, but no big deal. Oh, something happened. Justice was done for us to have the opportunity to keep on going. And that justice was the innocent paid the price for the guilty. But it can never be defined as justice. Yet Christendom has taught that it is God, it's God violates justice when it suits his purpose and even take pleasure in doing it. Not true. Isaiah 53 and 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief. If he would do that to the Holy One, what would prevent him from doing it to others? Love is the one attribute of God that most people doubt. Remember we said that. Because we know love cannot be unjust. You can't be loving somebody and doing them wrong. It's unjust. And you can't be loving somebody illegally. It is unjust. But we are taught that God violates justice. No, he doesn't. How can men trust a God who is unjust? Who is unjust? God is not unjust. He is the righteous judge. 2 Timothy 4 and 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give. His determinate counsel and foreknowledge resulted in specific act of absolute justice. All right, I'm going to move along here, move along here. Why had the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all? Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. Because just as the man he pays the price for having created, or at least not having prevented his creature from sinning. So remember what we said, get this in your brain. Calvary was more justice than it was everything as we think. What does that mean, preacher? You are responsible for what belongs to you. That's what this is all about. Remember, in the beginning, there was nothing but God. He was the only thing that exists. And then he decided to justify his existence by creating us. Yes, he created a world that would be sufficient for us to live in. So that's a byproduct. He created us. That was the main thing. That was the apple of his eye. He created us. And so because he created us, everything that we do today, he take it as his fault. Y'all can't handle that. Everything we do, God say, my fault. That's a real God. Everything that go wrong, he says, it was because of me. That's what we deal with every time we think about God. Everything that goes wrong, God say, my bad. Why? Because if I did not create them, none of this could happen. Remember I told you I was driving to church one night and it was just tough for me. I was just battling. 
And the spirit of the Lord says, it's because of me while you're going through all of this. I got you. Because God created us, we're going through what we go through. You're frustrated because God created you. You're frustrated, you're hurt, you're mad, you're going through stuff. Why is this going wrong? God created you. All of what you're going through, it's because God created you. So really and truly, everything that goes wrong, everything that you can complain about, why don't you go to God? It's your fault. You created me. If I wasn't here, then I wouldn't be dealing with this situation. Can we stop blaming each other now? Can we stop being mad at one another and just realize if I was not created by God, I wouldn't be going through this. I wouldn't be experiencing this. This wouldn't be happening. All of what's going on is because God created. And so Calvary was him saying, I got to make it right. I got to do right. And so, here's where we're finishing up. Why did it please the Lord to bruise him, to put him to grief? Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief because it was the ultimate expression of absolute justice. Remember I told you about my son Richard? Broke the man's windshield. He was about six years old, seven years old, broke the, uh, our neighbor's windshield. And the neighbor knocked on the door. And when they, when they told us Richard broke the windshield, him and his friend Thomas, they went and got an estimate, $300, the windshield. Guess what? Thomas's mom and me split that $300, $150 apiece, and paid for our neighbor's windshield. Richard didn't pay for it. Ultimate justice. Who kid is he? Mine. Who does he live with? Me. I had to pay the cost. And you pay the cost for your children. And God pays the cost for his children. That's the way it works. And so he bears the ultimate responsibility for his having created things the way he did and investing in us, his image, and the prerogative to make choices based on our own sensible and appetites. Why did he not defend himself? We know now he had to pay the price. Um, let's see where we're going to go. Because just as the man he paid the price for having created and given his creature the ability and right to choose the wrong, to choose the wrong, why did the Lord shed Christ's innocent blood? We know it says First Peter 1 and 18, you were not redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. And we have those scriptures because his innocent blood will be the covering for sins of the whole cosmos, the whole world. God's blood, that was his justice. He says, when I shed my blood, it will cover all the sins, all the wrong of this world. That was me. That was the justice that I set out to, to, to take care of. God has taken responsibility for what he has done, is doing, and will do. 
God has taken responsibility for all of the bad things that have happened. God has taken responsibility for all of the sins that have ever and will ever be committed. God has paid the price for every wound you have ever inflicted on yourself or others. God has paid the price for every wound you have ever suffered. God became a human being so you could know him. Jesus Christ allowed the crucifixion so you could properly determine his true value. So when God showed you that he's a just God by shedding his blood, now, now you can determine his true value. (laughs) God leaves the final judgment concerning his own value up to you. Those who do not know Jesus Christ are not qualified to judge him, meaning to determine his value. Those who do not know Jesus cannot assess his true value, but they will come face to face with him someday. So whether or not you want to get into this and follow him to know him and determine his value, sooner or later, you will know his value. Every knee will bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So whether you confess now or you confess later, you will know who he is and you will have to confess who he really is and determine his value. There will be worship at the time of judgment. It says in Matthew 18.25, But for as much as he had not paid, His Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had a payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him. I don't know if you remember that that story in, in Matthew about the servant that the master had forgiven and then he decided he was going to hold somebody uh, um, accountable to something that they owe him and the Lord says, I'm going to recount that. The master said, I'm going to recount that because you wouldn't have mercy on someone. I'm not going to have mercy on you. And when the Lord says, Get out of here. Guess what? He fell down and started worshiping. That was just a little glimpse of what will happen to us when we don't obey God and the day of judgment come. We're all going to fall down and worship and say, oh, God, have mercy on me. We're going to know it. We're going to know it when he walks away from us. We're going to say, have mercy on me. Those who have come to know him are qualified to evaluate him. We strive to show why he is worthy of praise. What Peter says, 1 Peter 2 and 9, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who had called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is our evaluation of his worth. Let's go down to, we're almost there. We are going to go down to page 363. Our God, the great I am, has justified his existence by creating us and revealing himself to us that we can know him. Um, Look at page 364, from eternity, 
God before the beginning. God everything, the eternal, without beginning, transcendent, formless, timeless. God the beginning, God something, the everlasting, having beginning, self-definition, logos. The word of God is, is, is what we said, it's God's thoughts. When you read the scripture, it's God's thoughts that we're, that we're reading. In the beginning, so in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. We're reading God's mind, so to speak. The Lord Jesus can be trusted to properly direct your life. 366, the end. Understanding who God is is far beyond what we have done And I think if we will get it, we will begin to live for God in a different kind of way. Does anyone have any questions at all about what we have just gone over for the past few weeks in understanding who God really is? Any questions, anything that's said today that might have confused you that you want to get a little bit of clarity on? Understanding who God is will let you know who you are. Anyone? We're all good. No questions. Sister Sylvia, you're talking. Can you share it with us? If you're talking, maybe we need to hear. Yeah, I know. But God can handle it. He knows it too. I dare one of us to try. And you'll probably hear, I know. You'll probably go and be mad and he's, it's because of you. And he'll say, I know. And that's why I took care of my business. I know. And that's why I took care of my business. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But God wants to have a relationship with you and me. And the only way to have a relationship with something that was going to be similar to him, we had to have this power of choice. And so God understood all of that. And that's why All of the complainings we do, how can, how can. Remember what I told you. When people start to ask that how can question, just say to them, if you will seek God and get to know God, you will get a lot of your question answered. But right now, if I begin to answer them to you, you just still wouldn't understand. If I just start answering the questions people are asking that don't know God, that don't have an idea of who God is, how would they, how would it ever be suffice? It would never be suffice. So your best answer to them is, listen, take some time and seek God. Seek to know who he is. And as you're seeking him, he will show you things about himself that will blow your mind. And you will begin to learn some things about him that will answer those questions that you have. But right now, just wanting God to answer your question that you don't even understand, he he couldn't help you. He, He won't answer you. No. Any questions? Any concerns about what we just talked about? We'll go on to new lessons. But this is your foundation. This is why when you go into an apostolic church, you hear them talk about one God so much. Because if you ever go into church thinking that there is the Trinity and there's a God, the Father, there's a God, the Son, there's a God, the Holy Spirit, and the three are separate but co-equal gods. If you ever start thinking like that, you can never please God. You can never know God. You can never determine his value, which means you will never really know your true identity. Heavy stuff. This is why you'll go to a lot of apostolic church, and they'll always get up with it. One God! 
They, it's a whole lot more behind it. They just want you to understand if you get to know this one God, then you will stand on this sure foundation that will help you understand so many other things. But if you don't stand on the sure foundation, then you're going to always kind of be skewed in how you receive understanding and information, knowledge about God. You have to know there's only one God. And that one God manifests himself so we can know him. The very, the very, what he started out to do, once he decided to create, he says, if I stay the way I I, I was when I was creating, you will never really come to know me. You could not know me that way. So what I'm going to do is create you in my image that I will become. (laughs) Yeah, I'll create you in my image that I will become. And that's what he did. Because why? It's easy to know someone that's like you. You see why we get all messed up? You can't know a God that's not like you. So he says, I know how to let you know who I am. This is who I'm going to be. So I'm going to create you in that image so you can relate. I'm going to make myself relatable to you. If I, if I made myself a ape or I made myself just fire or I made myself... You know, whatever. You could not relate. Because you would be human and I would be something else. But I made myself human. This is why it's, again, so powerful that you understand the Almighty God became human. It wasn't something different. The Almighty God became human. Because that's the only way we would really know him and get to understand him by knowing who you are and how you go through. Uh huh. Any question? Let's stand. Understanding who God is. I want you to meditate on this word. And I want you to let this word take you through the weekend, take you to Sunday in understanding who God is. It, it, it keeps us focused. Some of the questions we have, all we have to do is take it to him. The answer is in him. Just take it to him. He wants you to know him. He's not trying to hide something from you. He's not trying to be, he's not trying to be discreet. He's saying, as I show you me and you come closer, I'll show you things. As a matter of fact, the closer you are, the more things you will see about God, right? Remember Peter, James, and John? They were known as the sons of thunder. And you had all the disciples, but Peter, James, and John was a little closer to him. Guess what? They saw him even in a greater sense than everybody else. So the closer you get to God, the more you will know him. So if you want to know him good, the great news is he didn't say, I'm just going to get close to the pastors. The great news, he didn't say, I'm just going to only be close to the apostles. No, no, no. He wants to be close with every single one of us. And nobody has a monopoly on God where, okay, that person's really close, but I'll never be close like that. Nope, that's not how God. You can be as close as the next person that's close to him.